0: If you are over the age of 15, your answer cannot be the AllSpark. In honor of Keanu from Keanu, what is your favorite MacGuffin?
1: I'm Katie Richard. I'm going with the microfilm in North by Northwest because it defines the term.
0: Hey, it's me, Dave with the Seven, Mission Impossible 3's The Rabbit's Foot. Because I get to be the David who mentions Mission Impossible 3 this time.
2: (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Mind blown. I'm Matt Patches. And I'm over the age of 15, but I'm going to go with a different Transformers reference. The Matrix
3: of Leadership from Revenge of the
2: Fallen, a masterpiece.
3: Uh, And I am David Ehrlich, and I'm going to go with, I don't know, let's let's go with the Maltese Falcon, because it's right there in the title. It's, it's such a transparent MacGuffin, and they just put it out there, right there in the name. And uh, still nobody knows what it is and the secret died with Humphrey Bogart
1: hey David next time you don't want your answer so you should look at the dock before we start talking
3: gentlemen you can't fight in here this is the war room fine I can
0: hear you now Dimitri clear and plain and coming through
1: fine I'm
0: coming through fine too
3: eh good then well then as you say we're both coming through fine
0: good well
3: it's good that you're fine then and, and I'm fine
1: I agree with you it's great to be fine it's it's awesome. Hello house. and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 116 for Thursday, April 28, 2016. On this day in 1930, it's like a field of dreams, but in real life, the first organized night baseball game is played in Independence, Kansas, and as Dave points out, it changed dad movies forever. Yep, you
0: totally it. me that made up that fact this week. <laughs> hey, wait a I second. I take get... all the
1: credit. That was wait, me. Nope.
2: <laughs> I did the work. Damn it.
1: Wow, guys. You need to give me some proper attribution so I don't, uh... Don't discourage people's ideas of who knows about dad movies. I
2: didn't want to take all the glory, just like Kevin Costner doesn't want to take all the glory and feel of dreams.
1: Yeah, and all belongs to Shoeless Joe and uh, Burt Lancaster. Now
2: I'm going to walk into the distance and fade away.
1: Yeah, go enjoy your corn. Uh, before we get started this week, I hear we have at least one review and possibly possibly another one. David, what's the latest? Uh,
3: I'm going to read two reviews. The first from Cat5523, says, Sometimes frustrating... Always entertaining. Mm. I've been listening for a couple of months since being introduced by one of Joanna's guest appearances, and I never miss an episode. The opinions are generally thoughtful, even when they're poking holes in something I loved. I like that they discuss the big blockbusters and the tiny ideas. Some aside, tiny indies. Sorry, the tiny ideas are <laughs> usually <laughs> in the big blockbusters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, David can be too dismissive at times, and I wish Dave Seven would speak up more, but I love spending an hour or two with all of them every week. Yay! And now we will also read uh, a review uh, that I just need to refine really quickly. Aha, I have uh, by Steven Jesus who says, they've grown on me, to say the least. I'm not always caught up on each week's topics, but I could probably hear you guys talk about the importance of proper dental hygiene and still be fully enthralled. I admit wow. <laughs> I couldn't stand David at first. He always seems so cynical but I've come to enjoy his curmudgeonly insightful POV. I didn't care much of Patches either, honestly. LOL, sorry, so many white voices out there as is. You know, I was <laughs> loved, born this loved, way. <laughs> <laughs> Love that that dig is safer for Patches and Nummy. Uh, but now, <laughs> especially after watching a movie or a TV show, I do really want to hear his thoughts and input. I oh. imagine he'd probably be awesome to get a drink with. Wow, it gets better and better for Patches. <laughs> Katie Rich is best. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Probably my favorite on the podcast. Always says the right thing. Not just because I almost always agree with her. Yeah. But also the one who pulls in the team when the show rambles away. Lastly, the right Dave kind Devin. of white. <laughs> yes. As a Latino male, I'm totally biased. Boheme. And the, the man said bias, not biased. So. Uh, <laughs> for,
1: well, you are whitesplaining your own review.
3: This is. No, uh, I just have like Devin Faraci's voice in my head. never good so biased Uh, (laughs) but we need more dave seven no shots to los fanboys but seriously dave seven probably the best latino pop culture podcaster out there you have the burden you have the burden wait no honor of representing the latino voice keep doing us proudly
1: Dave, with, with great power comes great responsibility. How will you... Yeah,
0: I'm going
3: to be on Los this? Fanboys soon,
1: actually.
0: Uh, we're just waiting for the time for me to bring my Latino review attitude to, the, does, to the airwaves. What uh, does
3: Los Fanboys mean in Espanol?
0: <laughs> uh, it means the fanboys. Oh. I'm I'm amazed by this. Yeah.
1: Uh, well, if you want to tell us how to be less white and teach us the meaning of uh, basic terms in Spanish, or would you like to leave us a review... We want to hear from you either way. And patches is going to work on us, sounding less like a
2: white guy. Mayamo Matt patches. There you go. Oh, oh no.
1: <laughs> Dave, can you stop this?
0: So this week, Game of Thrones returned on HBO. It's going to be a very HBO-centric episode of Fighting yeah, the War Room, guys. Way to go, HBO. No, no, it's the wrong, nah. wrong oh. fan. Nah, nah. Right, right. I mean, well, nah. no, not even the right. It's like, nah, nah, like nah. Less, I mean, they nah. did play that music in The Hobbit, which has dragons.
1: Sean Bean but... is dead in both.
0: <laughs> Sean Bean is dead in both. It's true. See? Yeah. That's all uh, I got. Spoilers. No, 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 that's... that's there's not like any orcs in Westeros. Instead, we have ice zombies. I'm talking about Game of Thrones. Game yeah. of Thrones is back for season six, uh, premiered on HBO. HBO was free this weekend for anybody that noticed uh, and <laughs> happened to have a cable connection. Um, so we got to see some Beyonce lemonade, the Jurassic world, world premiere. And of course the reason for the season game of Thrones bringing everybody <laughs> to
2: Jurassic world, world. premiere. Yeah. Very big deal. I mean, that that was
0: definitely planned to be that way. Cause you know, if you, wow. well, I mean, if you had like a teenager in your households, maybe you're not showing them lemonade and maybe they're not ready for game right. of Thrones.
1: Was, uh, was HBO now also free? Like, did you have to have a cable subscription?
0: No, I think you had to have a provider uh, oh. that was participating in the whatnot. But as I also heard from my friend who lives in a town called North Glen, uh, north of Denver, uh, the cable companies were like going crazy calling people last week, offering you free trial anything to piggyback yeah. on this HBO thing.
1: Well, our, uh, our, d- our DVR recording of Game of Thrones sucked because everyone was watching uh, Time Warner, so...
0: Oh, time. yeah. I heard that there were some broadcast problems with yeah, the initial run.
1: Lots of freezing and uh, weird digital crap. But anyway, it's still That's Game of Thrones.
0: Super popular Game of Thrones. I'm sure we've talked about it before. We have a side podcast called Storm of Spoilers that we also host here. The Flooding in the War Room sort of channel group. Uh, but this season is like the big season in Game of Thrones lore because it's the one that finally moves past George R. R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire book series that this is reportedly based on. Reportedly, reportedly,
3: purportedly, things are. People still can't (laughs) sit back and just let the story take you where it will. You still have to dig up all the spoilers and all the story bits and set. Yeah, but that's what Game of Thrones is uh, about.
2: That's I mean, more and more, I'm convinced that you know, there's not a whole lot going on in this show, and it is built to for people. Like the Storm Spoilers guys, and you know anyone who keeps up with it, I think is projecting onto it, theorizing, basically writing fan fiction in their spare hours. It's the reason the show takes off every week. People are anxious to to see if what they've conjured in their imaginations actually comes true, as opposed to being engaged with the story itself. Well, no, I in mean, addition to the premiere episode, the premiere maybe but like i keep watching it for some reason and i i I don't really like any of the characters at this point i'm not very interested i don't see where it i don't need to see where it's going i just don't feel the propulsion of going forward in a narrative and but i still watch it just to like keep it with the water cooler talk it really is just because people are going to go off about it on the internet the next Um, time i mean
0: i i don't don't, i'm not that invested i don't think that's off, but I do think it differs from something like, let's say, Lost, which also had, like, a water cooler effect because this do- this is like a closed narrative. like. But Lost
2: was batshit yeah, nuts. Yeah, because what it wasn't a closed it's narrative.
1: It's kind of crazy.
2: Yeah. I guess. I feel, like, I feel like Game of Thrones is kind of stuck in a weird limbo between, are people on a journey like Lord of the Rings, or is this like the West Wing, and people are just gonna, the machinations of this the political game they're just that those cogs are going to turn every a little bit every episode and we don't it, you know we don't care what happens we just want to watch these characters do things it's kind of stuck between both because it is obviously um barreling towards an endpoint, but that endpoint isn't on the horizon uh but we but it suggests that it is yeah, it's weird I wonder
1: what you think about that idea
0: Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think the end point is definitely on the horizon. I think for me, this season, and I've only seen one episode of it, but like already, it feels weird because there isn't a textual basis. So like even if the show does things that I don't like in terms of plot or that I don't like in terms of character because I' become invested in a character after watching it. There was always, like comic book movies or something, there was a source where you could go back and sort of trace the roots of, like, what happened. Uh Game of Thrones is especially uh, rewarding in that sense, because not only are the the novels that the actual story is based on, but there's a book right. called The World of Ice and Fire that's just all world building, and there's, like, side novels that tell, you know, more ancient history. And so when things happen, like the big cliffhanger at the end of this episode, which... I mean, I guess I'm going to say it because it doesn't really matter if you haven't been watching the show. Somebody we thought was young is actually old. In what Um, sense was that
3: actually a cliffhanger, though?
1: I would say more of a surprise than a cliffhanger.
0: Surprise, cliffhanger.
2: Well, it kind of speaks to what I'm getting at about Game of Thrones, which is like it doesn't seem to represent uh, a reveal. Like, who cares? I don't feel that, that that is embedded in the past of the show. This isn't. A big surprise, and I'm not exactly sure what it's pointing to in the future, the ramifications. I don't feel a ripple effect from that cliffhanger, the reveal. What did you feel um, it from It's just something new that happens. But I think it's totally apt. Your comparison to comic book reading is, is really on point. Um, I pick up an issue of a comic book, and I'm usually kind of just like, why am I reading this, this like one drop of the stone in the pond? It just doesn't make any sense (laughs) these characters they have no motivations they're just going on adventures whatever and yet i'm i'm taken by it because of the legacy of those characters because of the expanded reading that i could do on them and it's just plain silly i can go off and read wikipedia pages based on little reference points in these books that's fun to me but the single issue actually isn't and i often leave game of thrones episodes just feeling completely unfulfilled like what i mean early in the show people were together They were, like, yelling at each other, Tyrion, up to his crazy antics, and the Starks, they had their whole, like, what is going on in the rest of this world, we're being killed off one by one, and... Daenerys, she was off in her own world, but at some point she's gonna cross over and like just start going to war with all these people we knew. But then the show implode- like expanded, and no one is together anymore, well, and it really about, feels. What about like the
1: scene in a Sunday's episode where Brienne gets to kind of pledge her loyalty to Sansa, like a goal that she's had for many, many seasons? That, and I mean, I felt for me like a really emotional. Best moment. part
2: best part because people are finally getting together felt like the Avengers like finally there's a team there's a fellowship they're gonna go on this journey that they've been setting up for this entire time I've been waiting for that moment but I want more of it I want a whole show about those characters I mean they get what an eighth of the show like the
0: Brienne uh, Sansa stuff is emblematic of what this show can do really well which is that it put Sansa through horrible stuff and then this person that was kind of like a whiny airhead who didn't know marrying Joffrey was bad in season one has now come to this point and it gets to be satisfying. I mean, i have been satisfying how they took her to her lowest place, but like in this scene it, it happens and it's cool. I can only hope that they have enough characters and enough places that we're starting to roll those off at a more consistent rate as we like build to the climax. And then it's going to, I'm going to feel really good about knowing all the places on the map Arya's been over the past couple of seasons before she gets to come back home to... Uh, to Winterfell, which I'm—it's a spoiler. I'm making up. I don't even know if that even happens.
1: And I think like the reveal of Melisandre at the end of the episode is not like I—I'm not really sure what it tells me based on the past of the show, but I think it emphasizes her in a really interesting way. Like she's in uh uh Castle Black. Like we know that she has the power to bring pe- people back from the dead. Jon Snow's corpse is there. Like there's all these like really interesting chess pieces being set up, and I think the showrunners are kind of playing with audience expectations about what we think will be Jon Snow's re- resurrection. I don't know. I haven't seen more episodes. Again, caveat. Um, but, yeah, there's, like, a really interesting, like, metatextual storytelling part in that, even though if it's, like, you know, that doesn't tell me a ton about her character. We kind of always knew she was not up, really of this world. I
3: just wish that I... That's not, I, like, an arc, I right? I wish that I wa- waited and watched this entire series uh, in one full swoop when it was finished, because I can't possibly be expected... That's comic books, too. That's comic book logic,
2: too, because there are people out there, and I've become one of them, that can't do the single issues anymore. Yeah, they just I wait can't till be expected to right?
3: care that, uh, that Brienne and... Sansa are finally meeting up after not having thought about these characters for a year. I mean, like, wow. I'm like, I'm like ah, okay. I mean, you're criticizing
1: uh, television now. Like, that's just how it. No, works. I know. I'm just,
3: I, I, I'm just saying that I wish that I had taken. the... Also, you've been, you were supposed to have been talking oh, course, about it every single day yeah, since I the last. Have you been listening my, to my, the storm
1: of spoilers updates? <laughs> <I have
3: not>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. I mean, I felt the same way about um, about Mad Men, uh, which is a more dense show in my estimation and why i i think this is the last the last time we talked about game of thrones yeah, Men well, was realized, ending and we were I kind of like all of Mad the, to- the, the tonal, tonal difference the final season yeah. and it made the final season so much more rewarding for me i don't know i uh i i i feel like i'm just sort of collecting spare parts as i watch the individual episodes now for the inevitable rewatch hopefully when i've forgotten a lot of it down the line maybe maybe before the final season
1: I am so engaged by the water cool conversation and the idea that there is still a show that everyone talks about. I really kind of feel like this is the last one that I can't imagine doing that. Like, I'm coming at it from such a different perspective.
3: I never, never assume that there's the last one, because if you remember, I mean, Empire really shit the bed, but if you remember its first season, when yeah. it was paced at such a, a reckless pace that you knew it was going to shit the bed, uh, it came from nowhere and immediately inspired that sort of conversation. So. Yeah, that was going at OC season yeah. one yeah. So pace. I don't think that, uh, I don't think that, you know, it, you can safely assume there's not gonna be another show. It's like the last this.
1: one I can think of that's on right now.
3: It's funny, just because I enjoy that sense of a round table, uh, Sort of campfire element that we get, water cooler campfire, whatever um, that you get around a show like this. Uh, but I, as people who listen to the show, will have gleaned by now, really abhor the culture of obsessively poring over details of conjecture and story that we don't have yet, and not allowing somebody to tell you a story. And so I'm sort of uh, of mixed minds about it. But
1: well, that is the entire purpose of the other podcast on this I know network it that is. you should listen to if you disagree with me. <laughs>
3: Well, to, to
2: the very positive Game of Thrones people on Katie and Dave, I, I posed to you this. I wrote this piece this week on Thrillist and there was, I, I feel a void in Game of Thrones and it's Joffrey. Not having mm-hmm. Joffrey there really, the, the show lost something after he died. Just this, having this vile, just repugnant character, pure evil, uh, crystallized in this, in this twerp. And it was a real villain in a show that doesn't really have heroes and villains because it's nuanced because it's trying to see the shades of gray in this political game. But like, we need Are a villain, right? We need someone Ramsey? to go after who. But Ramsey Ramsey is kind of Joffrey, who's all snarl and no true fangs. If right, he that doesn't makes have sense. Hey, Patches, He doesn't. Can his, I hit
0: you with some his some, his some yeah book his his that might change your opinion here.
2: All right,
3: you can you can drop... I mean, I'm worried about our listeners no, no, who no, aren't into please. the books, but... I've, I've endeavored never to learn a single no, this fucking is not, thing this that is, happens in the books.
0: This is not a spoiler, this and is it's, behind it's us not put David Ehrlich in his little pissy mood in that corner. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but what if, <laughs> so ah, what, if, what if they wrap this uh, detail around to have it be Well, take off your headphones upcoming... for a second.
1: Okay.
0: Oh, you can Participate.
3: It's more about the
2: Patches. Geoffrey okay. Ehrlich In the book, Yeah.
0: the person who uh takes care of the Bolton's hounds is Miranda's father. And so well, last night when he's like, that's good meat, chop it up and feed it to the hounds, the person that has to do that is her
2: own father. I know, but his his decisions, his evil doings don't kind of blow through the entire show like Joffrey. Every move he made, you know, if he punched someone in the face in King's Landing or if he sentenced someone to death, it would start a war. Yeah, but like, Randy got tiny. It just doesn't feel as big, and maybe it's because all the characters are really spread out at this point. We just don't have someone who – my hope is in the end of the show, the White Walkers storm King's Landing and raise Joffrey back from the dead (laughs) as a White Walker and a resurrected Jon Snow gets a slice his head off. Then I will be satisfied. But I just – I want a villain. I want a direction for the show to kind of start moving towards. It does feel – actually, you bring up Lost. It feels like it's hit the stagnation of Lost where it's like we need to decide when it's over and we need to get there.
3: I mean, the appeal is that every faction in theory has uh, their own the courage of their own convictions. They all believe they are entitled to rule. Uh, None of them are ceding any ground in that sense. And and but then I don't really understand the show as it's moving,
2: as it's kind of cranking right now. Like what the show does not have a point, especially without Jon Snow, which is why I'm you know, he's definitely coming back because he is the show Um, and whatever it's about. It's about him and maybe Daenerys, uh, and them finally, you know, there's a whole theory about them being connected, but that's for storm of spoilers. Uh, for now, I'm just, I'm waiting for the show to find a groove and I don't need it to hold my hand and like show me where it's going, but I need it that like some characters to hold hands and run in some direction. That's it. Well, and maybe Joffrey's answer.
0: We're going to, we're going to figure out this, this spring on HBO. If you manage to get suckered in with your free weekend, uh, Please join us. Either we'll talk about it again here, probably when the season ends. But you feel free to join us. Also, fightinginthewarroom dot com slash got spoilers uh, every week
2: and Jurassic World Podcast mm-hmm. Gov. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So uh, we unfortunately lost Prince on April 21st, uh, the music artist Prince, uh, or it's occasionally a symbol that stood for formerly known as Prince. But everybody, you know him as Prince, you know his work, I'm assuming, and probably his film work, Purple Rain, if you're lucky and or unlucky enough, depending on your state of mind slash level of Prince fandom. Uh, it's... Was it was an interesting day. Uh, Usually for these, like for Bowie, I immediately knew who I needed to talk to from my, uh, you know, life of knowing people who like David Bowie. But Prince, Prince seemed a little more difficult in the sense that everybody could acknowledge that he was some sort of weird genius, but then you had like the one or two friends that were just like absolutely devastated that this had happened and happened to him so young.
3: David, sorry? Uh no, I was I I concur.
0: <laughs> oh, I thought I cut you off. I apologize.
3: <laughs> Through grunting. <laughs> you concur. No, I was just thinking about I, I I there was a lot of truth in what you just said, and I think that um prince was not a topic of conversation often uh, in in our circles. I, I realize this comment is inevitably gonna engender the same people come out of the woodwork to yell at us about uh, not being racially being too racially uh, exclusive. The, the, I'll try not uh, to speak social during social this movies. segment. Yes, that just, please. Uh, no, but it, it, those it many of the people that I know, regardless of the color of their skin, uh, who had never spoken to me about Prince while he was alive, were hysterical. Uh, so it, it may wow. have been a dormant love.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's... Uh, or at least for me, my mom used to listen to Prince uh, in her youth when she was, like, having a bad time. And so that was one of the things, like, a lot of his greatest hits were sort of, like, passed on to me through the stress of motherhood, I'm now realizing while talking about it. But also just in my childhood, there was Prince playing, and it was, like, a joyous sort of music. So I was like, oh, no, not Prince, you know, let's listen to, like, Seven and Kiss and uh, Purple Rain but it was people like my mom or like you were saying people who were prince represented something uh of an otherness they recognized to them that just seemed like amazingly devastated by it and i was surprised by how quickly those people just like popped up worldwide like when I remember Michael Jackson dying and walking through New York and, like, everybody's just opening up their windows and, like, blasting Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. But, like, maybe it's just because it's easier to light a building up as purple, but it's just it was so visually well, striking also, to just, like, run through the Go Prince,
3: ahead. for all of his, uh, <laughs> all of his eccentricities, uh, often of a highly sexual nature, was never accused of molesting you know, several different young boys, so... That may have dull. That may have been an appreciable difference in how people mourned. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> or, but even like, Jackson's.
0: even if you go back with like Bowie, like everybody had something to say about Bowie, but it felt like it sort of like, you had the initial burst of shock and then it trickled out as people sort of evaluated. Like the night of the 21st, everything was lit up purple, mm-hmm. like everywhere. And it was just really sort of staggering to like, I mean, I definitely admired Prince. But there was like a whole period of the 90s where I like maybe heard like one track after, uh, off each album yeah. that he was like putting out.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, as all of us being born in the mid 80s, like there's a level to which Prince and also Madonna, they were born the same year and kind of are, uh, interesting musical contemporaries. Like we can't totally understand their impact. Like they were forging a territory that, by the time we became conscious of music, like, had already – people had imitated them so much already. And, like, it's hard to kind of look back and be like, oh, no, they were doing it first in a way that no one had really done before.
2: And and yet you can still feel the yes, shock. Yes, totally. That initial shock that still reverberates. Because I, I think of Prince sometimes as, like, John Waters. Like, if you watch a John Waters movie, you can understand why people had their jaws on the floor back then when they mm-hmm. first saw it. And then to, to this day, you know uh, – you would still be shocked by Pink Flamingos or something. And I just remember hearing Darling Nikki in college for the first time, um, which I think is the best Prince song. And, you know, Tipper Gore founded the parental advisory <laughs> to, like, keep Darling Nikki out of the ears of young children or whatever. And it is the fucking hottest, sexiest, disgusting song. It's so good. It's just dripping with sexuality. Nasty. Um, and it's, you know, there's the, in the movie... Uh, it's it's about uh, Nikki seducing, and it's just yeah. There's there's it's untouchable. You still feel the impact, and just you can see Tipper Gore like covering Tipper the eyes Gore of children. Is such an up, asshole, here, darling Nikki. And you know we don't know what it was like when it came out, but, but...
3: <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what what did she do when Prince died? I
1: don't know. No one's heard from oh, Tipper in a while.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think listening to even "Let's Go Crazy," uh, you can. There's a Even outside of the context of when the music came out, uh, I think there is an appreciable pop genius to just that one song. I mean, you can can already, um, not that it was anywhere close to being the first music that he recorded, but just that was the first thing that I revisited after he died. And it reminded me a lot of Brian Eno in terms of just how much it pushed the boundaries of pop and uh, well, Brian Eno's case sort of rock music. Um, and it's, it's there in the production the instrumentation. Um, and it is, in some respects, I mean, it, it took the shock of his death to, to get me to reevaluate this because I was never much of a prince guy. Uh, maybe not as much as I should have because I think that his reputation as this sort of, uh, this musical savant was overshadowed by his princeness, um, later in life when I became a little bit more musically aware. But, it's, it's there. David had to see him on The New Girl yeah. to really understand well, what Prince was course. all about. Um, but no, it's there as clear as a bell now when you, when you listen to it and it just, it's something that survives its time and, uh, it's just like listening to an, uh, um, another green world or something like that. I mean, it's, it's that clear even now that it was that innovative and, uh, and still feels so far beyond the bounds of where pop music has gone, um, in a lot of respects. And so. Him, I mean, he's just what a strange guy. There's just so much to reconcile there. Uh, uh, I, mean, I feel like we haven't said anything substantial about Prince. Let's say something, Dave. Rescue this segment.
2: I mean, we should wait. We haven't said anything substantial I don't about think Prince.
3: So I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like we haven't really broken any new ground here. I mean, what? We- How can you break
2: <laughs> ground on Prince? I mean, his his life is completely <laughs> documented. Uh, except for what will never be, uh, it's interesting that his sister has kind of stepped in. Apparently he didn't have a will. Apparently he didn't leave anything to anyone. And now his sister has stepped in to kind of oversee that process. And someone made a joke on Twitter, um, this week about, like, are we about to see the beginning of a never-ending battle over the Prince estate? Yes. Yes. That's what's going to happen. So, like, how can you make a substantial claim or, or, or an assertion about Prince at this point when his life is, has been, you know, written through to death. Uh, well, I think de- that, oh, um, given, <laughs> given the and nature of the future podcast, is so unclear. We,
3: I, given the nature of this podcast, we should at least discuss before we move on uh, to another music-related segment whether or not you guys think Purple Rain is a masterpiece. The movie? No. The movie? No. I did mean the movie. The movie is
2: not a masterpiece, but How it's... How much would
3: you pay for...
2: Uh, the bike oh <laughs> well i would want to get it for a deal i'd probably resell it let's hmm. be honest is that is that cruel is that wrong
0: i mean if i had it i wouldn't <laughs> Why would ride I pay it for the bike riding a motorcycle is kind of crazy but i would have the prince bike super so. dangerous
3: That'd
0: i wonder be cool. if there
3: are more prince films in the vaults where he keeps all of the music that he recorded but never released
0: there's at least the kevin smith documentary there is famously there is. reported yeah Prince guys yeah. Yeah. you could what a, what be <laughs> a man!
3: there will never be another prince that that we can say
0: yeah
2: i think we pretty much encapsulate him we we said something super substantial about prince we've done his uh, legacy justice okay. and i'm going to be the next right.
3: prince you better get started purple rain 2 purple rain 2
0: So, guys, there was another Beyoncé visual album that dropped this weekend. On the 23rd, HBO aired Lemonade, which we didn't know what it was really until it posted. It ended up being a 57-minute uh, visual album video, which included tracks from her album Lemonade, which dropped on Tidal for a day and then was available on iTunes, Amazon, and everywhere you buy your music now. Um, but also had like uh, some spoken word interstitials. And a whole bunch of shade throwing that apparently looked like was at her husband, Jay Z. But either way, ended up being like this huge sort of like cinematic music event, the kind that I think we've been uh, we alluded to in like the Prince segment, where some of these people out there in music land immediately saw this as essential and important. And for me, who is not a woman or a black person. Or a person underrepresented in really any sort of media, I still just found it an amazing work of just art standing alone by itself. Is is there anybody that feels like I completely misread Lemonade in my introduction? Well, why
2: did you? Why do you think it's so good?
0: So, so I had like the uh initial emotional reaction i think everybody did the you know tmz gut pit of your stomach reaction the uh, Solange elevator part exactly is is beyond like halfway through i'm like is beyonce gonna break up with her husband on hbo it's just like hbo
2: it's the next true detective you know they did who is the yellow king and now who is
0: uh who is becky with the
2: good hair hair. hair. very Uh, good at the questions.
0: But I think the more that I... First of all, having to deal with it as a visual album for a certain period of time because I don't have title uh, really sort of allowed those two things to be married for me. And then the second time, or I guess like the fourth or fifth time going through it, I started trying to reach back into uh, what sort of uh, visual uh, illusion she might be making or any of the directors, uh, and uh, definitely what sort of musical influences she has, like, across different genres, and I've just been having a really good time unraveling this, like, you do something that's, like, uh, really dense, be it, you know, literature, TV, or music. Uh, where it's like I feel like it is of this moment and saying something but simultaneously doing what I think all good art does, which is also show its influences in a way that uh, allows you to expand your interests like you want. If you just want to, you know, like rock out to freedom and that's as far as you want to go, that's great. But if you want to, you know, see the menstruating vagina hallway or know what, you know, poems she's actually reading in between the the clips... Then that requires, you know, some engagement with the art community. So I'm done totally down. What's the best way to that. find
1: that out? Is there like a is there a bibliography for this that someone has made or that she made?
2: In I what
3: would, sense?
1: Like, I well, think
2: like all the poetry I... is coming from one place, coming yes. from one poet, Wars Shire.
3: Yeah, the uh, you know, and I also I I am always it's always in my nature not to um, take it as explicitly autobiographical, and I'm. Reading something or listening to something. Why and is that your nature? I don't know. I just I'm not.
2: <laughs> to uh, be
3: above it. To be above no, it. No, I just I think that it it, it didn't seem uh, like that would be. Uh, well, I'm, I have no knowledge. I, that's the thing is that I don't presume to know, and I get frustrated when people do presume to know anything uh, that they don't presume to know. But Although you keep, have
2: to give some people, I think you have to give
3: people a little slack. On this one when of course, yeah. I mean the the imagery KZ of her personal life in the video. Yeah, yeah. So, a- absolutely, but I I would rather throw my hands up and say, I don't know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh but also, as far as the autobiographical elements of it go, she talks about her dad in the past tense, she talks about her dad being dead uh on the album in through the voice in which she's singing. Her her dad is very much alive. Uh but she talks about being beaten by her father, but her father and you know. Uh, I guess for the context of this argument, I at least I will choose to believe him. Uh, I don't think she's ever made any claims that she was abused. If she has, I don't know. I'm not aware of them. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that you know, obviously there are elements of autobiography there. We know about the elevator fight. Um, we can presume that that may have been inspired by the fact that he was or the, the idea that he was cheating on her and that Solange got mad. Um, I don't really think that that's what matters ultimately about the music. As interesting as the HBO live not live stream, but uh, you know, nationally broadcasted confession for outing would be. Um, I don't think that's what's going to stick with this. I see this more as um, from where I'm standing and, and just sort of collating the voices that um, this speaks more directly to, uh, that I've read and on the Internet and spoken to in person, that it is very much about, it, it's all more or less there on the surface about the, uh, the metaphor of lemons into lemonade, about the... Uh, oppression of women and black women in particular, uh and and sort of fighting that. And I think that infidelity and and being um disrespected in a relationship is a very convenient narrative tool for uh pushing through that oppression, belittling, um, rising above it, finding some accords and forgiveness. Um, while these things may have happened in her personal life, I think they all can be broadly extrapolated to the black female experience and, and really a human experience beyond that. Um and I, so I think that I am less interested in the, in the personal uh, salacious details than I am in the feelings that the music will inspire and the experiences that the music will indeed represent uh, In the Malcolm X quotes and whatnot. I think that those things are a bit tacky if you're just talking about them in context of, the, uh, of her marriage. I, I don't think
2: jumping on the personal details of, of Beyonce is, is all salacious, is all gossip. Driven. i mean there's some of that and because the, you know the first person people to publish stories about lemonade were like people.com and kind of the gossip rags
3: the people who,
1: who are willing to be on on saturday night to write about whatever was yeah. in it
3: yeah but that, like, of course like the uh, one of the major themes of the album is that she even though queen of the universe queen of all media, is still very much a human at heart, and is as sensitive to all these things as other people might be, and uh, so that's, you know, I don't want to entirely take right. away your argument that that the personal... The is history
2: about. floods into this and makes it more universal, because she's a very specific person who we know a little bit about. Um, and I think it makes the kind of obvious metaphor, is it, whether it's, you know, uh, mm-hmm. evoking Malcolm X, or uh, the writer that wrote about it for for me made a really strong comparison to Ophelia from Hamlets, which I think is interesting. the drowning, there's a lot of water imagery. and then later in the uh, video, there's scenes of her kind of laying in flower beds that are very much like the uh, the John Everett Milius uh, painting of Ophelia, uh, which I think is interesting and but kind of kind of obvious too Um but that's fine because it's a it's about a very specific person speaking universally right i mean are or are these is, is, is are we entranced by lemonade because the imagery is beautiful the songwriting and the music is dynamic but is it too easy is it too digestible uh, are we being fooled by lemonade on some level this is the first time i've ever even thought this out <laughs> I mean, loud do you because feel i don't like believe it. it i'm playing devil's advocate i loved As- it
1: I was about to say, like, is there anyone who feels like they've gotten everything out of this that is being put there? Like, have we read all the layers? Like, you know, to me, I, I haven't engaged with it in much. but and it just
3: rocks. It's know. a lemonade, so, yeah. not a lemon, not an onion. Layers. Jeez. Oh, oh uh, no, I, I am in part just to engage with it as I could and avoid uh, accusations of, of uh, you know, funneling lemonade through my own white male voice and not taking the time to listen to those who are better qualified and to so- speak to it. I know. I, I tried to uh, engage with it purely on uh, cinematic terms um, and understand it. You know, that was that felt like that was the most appropriate level for me to engage with it. And I looked at it as a giant work of a tourism uh, at Beyonce, taking all these disparate artists, the six other directors who worked uh, with her here. And then, of course, the various cinematographers and editors and so on. Um, And how she took all these different voices in much the same way as she does to to make the music on her albums, where uh, a lot of the people, uh, almost all of the people, have no idea that they're actually on the album until the album comes out or she tells them in person. Um, Is is she takes all these disparate artistic voices and bends them to a single coherent vision? Uh, And I I did a piece on anywhere was sort of exploring and taking my best guess as to who could have directed what, but. That was ultimately sort of a parlor game. It didn't really matter. I think that the um, overarching idea is that um, all of these people who come from such different backgrounds have she has been able to sort of coalesce their, their visions to help her to serve. She's plucked from, from what they have to offer and, and told this one narrative, this one unified narrative. And I think that it, it really speaks to how um, at its best the auteur principle is put into action.
2: I'm sad. I'm sad that you're taking such a clinical approach here. That the imagery can stand alone somehow, be divorced from what she's conversing about with her audience. It's what, what, uh, I, what did you, I say? Don't hesitate.
3: The imagery being. I'm
2: saying. I, I, well, you're saying you, you wanted novel. to. You okay. wanted to approach it on an, a tourship level that you
3: wanted to just admire imagery the from content. A visual, I don't know why you're getting this idea that I'm only speaking to the visual. Auteur is am talking about the meat and soul of it, everything. Uh, you know, everything well, I'm that... Trying is, to,
2: I'm trying to push you further than, like, you're admiring the photography and you're admiring the filmmaking you're admiring I, I, the, I, I, the coherent I, vision. Are, what is it speaking to, then, for you? What is, like, the division of these segments and the choices visually actually go chasing? I,
3: I don't understand why you are taking tour to, to only speak to aesthetic terms. I mean, I'm I, not limiting it to that at I, all. I'm, I'm not uh, saying
2: just that. I'm saying what you just said about just admiring the visuals. You were you were saying you were you were you were
3: worried about digging too deep because of your position. Uh, no, as, not I wasn't worried about voice. digging too deep. I just thought that in the wake of this particular statement, uh, I was and seeing the reaction that it was engendering, and it, it just seemed like uh, the the best way, at least in the immediate aftermath of Lemonade's release, for me to add my voice to the conversation, regardless of my private thoughts, was to yeah, I mean with I,
1: I think people um, engaging with it from a political or literary or, you know, a cultural perspective are coming at it from one way. And it makes sense for you to approach it from an author's perspective, which is I don't know, that's like the filmmaking angle, but that makes sense to me.
3: Listen, cool. I
2: get
1: I mean it I guess complete there was a... sense.
2: It makes complete sense. I'm just saying what what are the choices, and what are they speaking to her? I'm just trying to push. Oh, yeah, to the choice choices. Level. Yeah, like well, why I, have these different characters, and why well, have these different
3: visuals? Well, and and, would like, you agree they, that the film the film feels like, even though with all of its disparate styles, and in that sense, I mean aesthetically, uh, that it feels like a coherent whole, even with the sort of uh, protracted music video uh, stitch work, that it feels like there's one sort of voice behind it that is tying it all together.
2: I completely agree with that. And, and not only agree with that I, I think it's like I'm not there. Right. Uh, but instead of different actors playing Bob Dylan, uh, Beyonce is going to take on different. Uh, it's it's like her horcruxes. No, that is an insane thing to say. This is variations <laughs> of herself and and extensions of her own personality kind of uh, extruding up off, off of her off of her center. Yeah. Um,
3: and I, and I agree right. completely. She's dividing herself in the sense that I think it makes sense for her to have different filmmakers speak to each of these elements, even if the their contributions are woven throughout. Um, there are discrete chunks where you can say, like, here was uh, uh, Mark Romanek, and here was Khalil Joseph, and, like, uh, you can you can split it up like that. But I think that each of the elements, each of the various adjectives or nouns that she uses to frame the chapter's... Um and all these different parts of herself and the the voice that she's trying to to speak to are, are addressed differently. But yeah, I mean I think that I was, there was an interesting piece. We talk a lot about cultural appropriation in the show, and, and there was a piece uh, that I read about how white people should engage with lemonade, and it was saying um, that listen was really, and that's what you would do with music ordinarily—is yeah. that you would, you would listen to it. I thought that was a totally sensible thing to say—to listen not only to the music, but what to the the people for whom it may have been more explicitly Although, intended. I to say, and um, I, I can totally understand. Watch, is a,
2: watch is a very important yes. part of it too. I don't yes. feel like I don't know if I love this album but I really love
3: Lemonade as the whole kit and caboodle. I really do like the album. I think uh, I've been listening to it a lot. It has gotten in the way of my Hamilton listening, which is high praise. No. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and uh, no, I think uh, I, I've really been enjoying it. I don't think it's perfect. and I, I think a lot about of uh, Bjork's last album, which was very transparently and, and openly about her divorce with Matthew Barney um, and how that was so much more like scorched earth than uh, this record is, um, and I feel like a lot of people who are responding to the sort of uh, perceived emotional candidates of this uh, might enjoy Volcura, um even if it's a bit of a harder climb. but um, yeah, I mean i I, I don't know I, I, I think that uh, it's a really interesting the whole project I find. I find fascinating. I love how somebody at the top of a pyramid like this is able to bend so many different creators to her vision. I think that's why she is where she is. I think this is the most lucid uh, illustration we have, or at least that I have, as to why she is Beyonce and so many other talented uh, pop stars um, have not transcended in the way that she has. Katie, Dave, are there images in this that, that, that blow
2: you away that stick with you after watching it. and that seemed to speak to either Beyonce or just speak to the the visual oh, nature of, of lemonade. There's,
1: there's so many visuals in it, and like I like I said, I've like watched it, but not. like I basically watched it once um so i'm kind of still grappling with like half of the stuff in it like i love that she has swinging a baseball bat called hot sauce after we spent two months talking about her having hot sauce in her bag and now right. that's like an added meaning to what that could possibly mean i mean i think from the um formation video like the shot of her on the cop car drowning in water like you mentioned how there's a bunch of water imagery that will connect her to ophelia but obviously it connects to new orleans too which is a uh, part of you know the whole southern gothic vibe of this video um I don't know. I really like the way it ends with. Uh, I, I like the reconciliation part of it, which I guess maybe speaks to why I like you do. That's simpler side. Yeah, I mean, actually I, I really like I, the way that if you're taking the story as being autobiographical, it's about her choosing to h- handle her marriage in her own way, which is something that's yeah. like kind of always been the way the public. Uh, I they present to themselves like they got married in secret basically they didn't confirm that it had happened for years like they've always been kind of like doing their own thing and the way that it ends with reconciliation I don't know I feel like that's a much more truthful version of how a lot of relationships work rather than like throwing the bastard out and never looking at him again again that having no idea what really happened
2: that seems to polarize people just about like getting back together with someone who but this is yeah. not not she's not well I have no idea I can't speak to her personal life but I don't think it was necessarily an abusive relationship or like you know this was an emotional hardship for her
0: and and getting back together
2: is like pushing through something
1: and even if your partner doesn't cheat on you like they're going to make you mad at some point do something inconsiderate and jerky and like come home at 3 a.m even if they haven't been cheating with someone and then you figure out how to get through it no your (laughs) partner's perfect
2: yeah till you're married
1: david
2: 30 million people watch your personal life and one little fuck up uh, becomes tabloid headlines. I guess that's... Patches,
3: did you say that you feel like, uh, regardless as to how much of this is, is ripped directly from her own life, that she is sort of engaged in a conversation with the audience? I mean, I think the hot sauce thing, uh, which is a detail that I wasn't aware of, is is really interesting because it, it is really sort of saying, like, we I hear you, uh, that like we are in a dialogue that she wants... She may not always like the tone of the conversation, but it sounds to me like she... It's valuable to her as an artist that people are hearing what she's saying and that that she knows that they know well, that I she. That's she why well, I don't she, think
1: the hot sauce that bat was filmed after the best, after uh, formation of coming out. I don't think that's an actual like that's, reaction people going true. on to that.
2: But she's aware of. I mean that that speaks to to the script of lemonade on some level that she's calling back to something that she somehow foresaw would gonna kind of blow up and and
1: a song, song that comes just, last on the album
2: because it She's... connects her to hillary clinton in such a weird way because just I know. the hot sauce kind of like because hillary clinton carries hot sauce in her purse and then everyone that. blew that out of proportion and
1: it's
0: so and weird. Then monica
2: lewinsky vanity fair zone started yeah. tweeting about it, and it was such a disaster I think you guys
0: uh. missed the the way this is going. I don't think she's talking. I think she's dictating and everybody's accepting. But, like, that's the mm. point of it. She's taking these very complex emotions that apply to a ton of people and condensing it into I got hot sauce in my bag swag or sleigh or, you know, winners don't. I'm going to keep running because winners don't quit on themselves. And. Those are given to her fans or her supporters, the people she's speaking to with the music, and those are the people that get to use those the the catchphrases or the encapsulated ideas as shorthands to you know like bring it into their own lives.
2: But I do think it's a dialogue, as David was suggesting. I I do agree with that point, David. That. Um it feels like a conversation because, you know, late in the film, she's listening to um, Silk and Soul, Nina Simone's record. And there's even like a close up on the record as it's playing. And I feel her telling us like she's taking on a role, right? She's aware of her potential as a, a, a spokesperson for, you know, a people, a movement, political ideas, um, a youth whatever, a generation, and she understands that, and she's telling us, yeah, maybe I can do this for us, too. Like, if if you can understand me, and if I can, and uh, as a person, then yeah, I can become something bigger, too, as long as you don't think of me as God, which she puts a title card in there, just to let you know, Beyonce's not God, uh, and she will not accept that role for you. But she may be okay taking on the legacy of Nina Simone and, and being a voice.
0: <laughs> One day what part of that I hope a conversation.
2: That... the conversation is listen to me for a second. Here's me as a real person. I need to smash cars because I'm having, a, a, you know, I have mental breakdowns. I have relationship problems. I am only human. I'm not a God. But listen, I hear you. You want me to be political? Actually, I when I saw the Nina Simone close-up when she cut to that song, um, it really moved me because for a very long time I was kind of frustrated that no one was no no celebrity would stand up and align themselves with Black um, Lives Matter, and I was getting very frustrated because I was also on a Nina Simone kick at the time, was just like I was waiting for someone to be political, have a pop star make a point in the political spectrum and here is beyonce standing up and doing that like pushing through a lot of personal baggage and then suggesting and speaking back to her uh fans who uh or or hearing them i should say and that's the kind of conversation her accepting a role i feel like is part of the dialogue
0: i mean maybe but i don't think like okay so if we take beyonce as an actress in fictional roles right not always great but the like gold member,
1: yeah, but oh the second man, she's I thought being, about gold member while watching this
0: the second she's being herself, she has like some sort of magnetism in that, so isn't it possible that the person that appeared in front of a giant light up word feminism like years ago has constructed something to speak to the most amount of people without necessarily listening does it matter? Oh no, I don't think so. I just think it's it's weird to uh be on the current uh, like on the ground with an artist that's so trying to aggressively define his or herself uh, like I guess like outside of record sales or touring or anything, it just seems like you know she's been freed from something that you know usually you you know you have to be beyonce level to be at. And instead of doing some sort of like, I mean she is doing some sort of wheezy crazy uh, you know world tour and music video. But it all seems to be unified behind a message in some sort of like post-millennial corporate way that I don't know if we've seen free of like a large planning community of like record company things. My thing that I guess I'm reacting to with Patch's characterization is I don't think she is listening or has to listen. I think she's collected and now she's going to dictate. Like I think we're past the age of Beyonce listening. That's already happened. We've entered the age of whatever ah. Beyonce is going to do. I don't know.
1: Yeah, kind I don't care if she's listening or setting the agenda. I'm fascinated by what she's presenting to the world, and I don't actually care if it's really her or not. Like, she has created a persona that might be as artificial as something a record company would come up with. I don't think there's really any way to know. Um, But what she's presenting, the imagery is so striking and so empowering for people. I mean, like, looking at the black women dancing around her in this video, like, it's a really striking and powerful thing that exists. And there's not really a woman currently recording music at the level and populated that she is that has that kind of control over
3: what she is. There's also not a woman or person necessarily recording music at the level and platform that she is. Right. Uh, But,
1: like, even, like, the history of pop, it's been rare, like... You know, right. People compared this to the Michael Jackson Bad video that, uh, you know, is like 17 minutes long directed by Martin Scorsese. And that's something he was able to put together. And this is maybe even more ambitious than that.
2: Right. And it feels like a convergence of so many things. Dave, the reason I think it's like a hear me and then I'll hear you dialogue is, you know, one of the one of the images is Beyonce laying down in the Superdome. And I think that's really resonant on on so many levels, because. Obviously, it's speaking to Katrina, uh, su- the Superdome housing, a lot of people who were, you know, the, the, the flood, their house was flooded or and they had to go and live in the Superdome. And then yet she's performed on that stage, right? She is the, one of the greatest Super Bowl halftime shows of all time. Like, this is such a weird convergence of two worlds and she can bring it all together and she can lay on the field and Blue Ivy can run around. And it's, I don't know. There's not just a me-telling-you-how-it-is vibe to this. It's very much her hearing the world, too, and kind of accepting a role. You know, a woman, or Trayvon Martin's mother, holds up his portrait of this video. How can you say that this is Beyonce dictating to the world what's up? Uh, Yeah, I mean, she's definitely
3: serving as a microphone. I don't know. I feel like she's also serving as a microphone in addition to whatever she's putting out there, that she is, you know, sort of channeling... Uh, The collective thoughts that she's getting from the underrepresented people that matter to her and, and hoping to do what she can to spread their voice I mean I think that that is kind of self evident but
0: yeah I'm just saying it's like introducing this whole like phase of her musical career with formation seems to me like it started off with we're gonna draw she's gonna draw a line for people and we all get to decide what side of the line that we're on I don't see a lot mm. of call and response because I don't think I think she's kind of beyond that. You know, people are going to she's continue. like she's, beyond yeah.
1: <laughs> she's
3: she's Transcend. Transcend. <laughs> she so is
2: she's is one transcendent. with the universe. Well, there is an image of a storm brewing and maybe that's maybe that is Beyonce. She's become Mother Nature itself. Um well, maybe we should wrap up and talk about the music. Uh, David was talking about being kind of taken by this album. Or What songs pop for you, or is there a, a big-picture response you have to the, just the music?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been really... Um, I was hoping to pull up the album, but it's not showing up on my iTunes. Here we go. Uh, I have been really enjoying it. I mean, I think that um, I... Have tended not to respond as strongly to her more anthemic songs in the past. Your uh, crazy and loves your which Exo. is a good song, but uh, EXO is a great song actually. <laughs> but like your single ladies, <laughs> uh, some of the earlier stuff um, doesn't really uh, EXO is really a fantastic song. Uh, well, but I, I I love the 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 tone that the song starts with with the uh, pray you catch me. I, I think that that sort of mid tempo. Um, not quite ballad, but sort of window setting. I really like her in that mode. I think, um, I think that hold up and and sorry uh, and freedom. The Freedom is like a banger if I can even use that word with a straight face. I usually can't. Uh, I'm not a music writer, but uh, I think it's really great. And James Blake is a really interesting counterpart for her. In, um, in James Blake in his own music has, has explored using hip-hop artists um, he sort of is this sort of white boy R&B uh, uh, digital style, but he has employed rap and uh, hip-hop and R&B in his own music. And I think that the reverse of that is really interesting here and makes his own voice a lot more interesting in the context of Beyonce songs. And I think that All Night and Formation, the two last songs of the album, everyone knows Formation by Art already, but I think All Night, which is the uh, big euphoric reconciled climactic number of the lemonade film is a really powerful song um and uh, helps and uh, an album that i would argue could be construed as a concept album i mean that has a very coherent narrative uh, however divorced from reality it may or may not be um and uh yeah, yeah I, th- I think it's a, a strong album i'm still wrestling with Sam Castles and and uh, daddy lessons and oh i they, love I, daddy uh, lessons yeah well, I, that, I mean that's, that's, that's 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 a whole album of daddy one.
1: lessons, daddy yeah, lessons is like the country song right
3: yep 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 i that's the one where i look forward to parsing a little bit more closely all that blather about the second amendment <laughs> i've been trying to see how literal <laughs> to take that uh i'm very sensitive to that but uh um i the, i think that the the uh, spirit of the song comes through regardless. Um, you know, something that I like about listening to, you know, you talk about, or I talk about, you know, white boys engaging. And someone who's listening obsessively to Hamilton and now Feminade, Uh, you know, white boys listening to music by brown and black people. Um, it gives me something that even, I don't know, when I watch movies, I, my biggest concern uh, is that I am... Trying to sort of moor everything to my own worldview, not my race or, or my upbringing necessarily. Um, this I don't think of this as uh, watching movies about white people, black people, whatever, but just thematically or just trying to ideologically construct where movies come i'm always trying to tether it around uh, how i see the world how its message contorts uh, it uh, sort of conforms to, to mine um and i think sometimes we are all guilty of this and uh, sometimes i find myself especially so of bending uh, a movies meaning to better not necessarily uh like fit my own uh feelings but so i can at least contextualize them in a way that makes sense to me and when i listen to music that is coming at it from a very different way i find that i'm less susceptible to that because i just i don't know i just experience the mediums differently and i uh can you know even if let's pretend that the song is like uh the new anthem for the Second Amendment, and like everyone who is fighting for Second Amendment rights is going to. I don't think that's what the song's about at all, but just hypothetically, um, I could still see myself enjoying it very much. I don't know. It's just a very different experience. I don't know if that made any sense. But. It makes sense, but it, I, I don't know if I share that opinion, at
2: least in the context of Lemonade, which I think is an okay album. But I, I mean, I think I got the most pleasure out of seeing Beyonce. Sing songs like, you know, Don't Hurt Yourself when she's screaming in the camera and Jack White wailing behind her or Hold Up when she's, you know, bashing windows or or Daddy's Lessons singing, you know, along with this guitar player. And I don't know, I just I really enjoyed watching her up close singing it. it, actually speaking to that Bjork album. Uh, weeks ago, I talked about um, seeing a VR film version of one of her music videos and feeling this kind of intimate connection of watching Bjork sing this really painful song, um, and it was tremendous, and, and but I felt the same way watching Lemonade, especially during Don't Hurt Yourself when... Beyonce's just up in our face yelling and screaming and just feeling horrible and then throwing her wedding ring at the camera. I just thought it was awesome and really powerful. And I, um, I'm i excited to see if I feel that same way listening to the album, but I have to say I'm a pretty big fan of Four, where it's just kind of big pop tune. So I like that side of Beyonce, too.
1: You can, uh, oh, God. oh Now I'm not even thinking of the song I was trying to reference. Countdown, Countdown. That of Countdown. A- Ultimate Beyoncé.
2: Even if it going. got caught up in a, like a choreography scandal.
1: Uh, well, it also inspired one of the best songs in Hamilton. So maybe now's what? the time. Are you fucking with me? No. Yeah, I... it's been like widely cited as an inspiration for uh, yeah. uh, "Helpless." It's a great song.
2: Haven't heard it. Well,
1: that's your next assignment. <laughs> Fit, where <laughs> does music. That does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. We will not have a review segment because uh, Keanu and Mother's Day are not screening in ways that make it possible for us to talk about them, and Mother's Day looks awful. Um, So we will be back talking to you next week. In the meantime, tell the people who you are.
2: I'm Matt Patches. I'm the senior entertainment editor of Thrillist.com, and I'm on Twitter, at Mr. Patches. We have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com we post all the episodes you can share them you can comment uh i don't know what else you can do dave what else can you do on the website these days uh you could share it you can listen you to can other embed
0: them. you could pop it out and listen to it on your browser you could find all of our hidden back catalog of legend of Korra podcasts but shh don't tell anyone
2: the lost project Ooh. is probably on there, on there oh yeah that's there mentioned yeah. lost
0: are we on title we're not on title yeah. but we are on all google right. play starting this week
2: oh shit yes. we got out well, we also are on fightingintheworm.com, if you do that.
3: <laughs> uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I am a senior film critic at IndieWire, and you can find all of us, you can find me on Twitter, right now, Verified.
1: Ooh.
0: Very
3: important, I know. Uh, it's, uh, what, what a silly process that Don't is. Don't follow um, the fake David
1: Ehrlich, follow this Yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, yes, so... Uh, um, I have uh, never wanted. We've never done an episode of the show that I've more wanted to disavow what I've said uh, myself. From, I have felt like I've been less coherent, and now I am uh, attached to my online identity like never before. So it's bad timing. Uh, you can find all of us together on Facebook at Fighting in the War Room.
0: I'm Dave Gonzalez, but my first name is DA70. That's also my Twitter handle, uh, and uh, I write at geek.com, latino-review.com. Storm of Spoilers is back. It's our thing about Game of Thrones. We talk about spoilers. As the showrunner said, if there was a website called Last Pages of Great Books, would you read it? So I, of course, bought Last Pages of Great Books, which will take you to all the Storm of Spoilers episodes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Dave, even when I don't like spoilers, I admire your... Uh, so many URLs. Yeah.
3: So many URLs.
1: He wonderful. stands
3: for so many things I abhor, and yet so so lovable.
1: Wow. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com, along with Storm Spoilers co-host Joanna Robinson, who's writing more great things about Game of Thrones and other places. And uh, my other podcast, Little Old Minutes, going to get Jason Bateman on this week, so that's fun. Um, yeah. And... Wow, David, you are <laughs> just kissing all them. in every soup bowl I've the,
2: the, <laughs> the guest is a great it's a great get, maybe not the best movie, but it's a great get. I
1: have not seen Where? this movie. It was or I know, sorry, I've Yeah, I have seen some of his movie. It is a great conversation, though, so you should listen. And more.
3: I was (laughs) going to say, I have no doubt it's a great conversation. I encourage everyone to go listen to it. Uh, I am sure that he is a much better guest on a podcast than he is a presence in screen of the film. Wow. Well
1: much more importantly uh, I'm on Twitter at Katie Rich and you can find all of us on Twitter at FITWR which is a place to talk to us and about this week's lightning round question which is a fun one what was it?
0: In honor of Keanu from Keanu, what is your favorite MacGuffin?
2: We'll retweet answers because we're not doing a review, I promise yeah,
0: you, you have to actually be MacGuffins though so make sure
2: you know what
1: you're Yeah and if you want to uh, jump in and debate with us about the meaning of a MacGuffin I'm sure one of us will uh, be tested 40, enough to so take care it. We've already ruled
3: out Brutos from Gutsu, not and, if it's and, going to destroy the world, but you don't know how, it's probably a MacGuffin.
1: And if it's the, t- the necklace from Titanic, it's not a MacGuffin.
3: It's not a MacGuffin. If, MacGuffin. if people are chasing after it and talking about it a lot, but never specifying what it is, or what it does, or what it might All Infinity Stones
1: probably. in Marvel are MacGuffins.
3: Until, until maybe one day they're not. Oh, God.
1: Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, and as promised, we will be back talking to you next week.